0: All right. want to go ahead and read the thing.
1: In the middle of June 1905, 10,000 New Yorkers gathered in the Lutheran Cemetery in Middle Village, Long Island, to unveil a new memorial. Although dozens of city dignitaries attended, the actual unveiling was the responsibility of a young mother and her toddler daughter. At the appropriate moment, Mrs. Anna Liebenau, dressed in black and heavily veiled, walked stiffly to the covered monument, carrying young Adela Martha Liebenau in her good arm, while the other hung by her side. Unlike the rest of the crowd, Adela, eighteen months old, was not dressed in black. Her white linen shift dress was embroidered in tiny white flowers and worked over with pleats, smocking, and lace, in sharp contrast to the heavy black gowns, mourning badges, and somber black and gray suits of the crowd. When they reached the covered monument, Mrs. Liebenau instructed Adela to reach up and pull the cord, and the little girl did so with the concentrated intensity of a curious toddler. The drapery fell away, revealing a 12-foot-tall carved marble monument rising in a stepped series of pediments each topped by female figures representing despair, grief, courage, and belief in the hereafter. The face of the monument bore the words in memoriam across the lower level, and a curious relief carving of a side-wheel paddle-steamer in the midst of a swirling river. Mrs. Liebenau's reaction to the monument was not recorded, but baby Adela's was. She clapped her hands with such enthusiasm that she lost her grip on the little doll she'd brought along and pointed at the statue. Being a healthy child with a good set of lungs, her voice was loud enough to reach the reporters and photographers gathered at the side of the crowd. Pretty, she shouted, pointing out. Pretty. Over the years, Adela would attend many, many more ceremonies at this cemetery in the warm June weather. As she grew up and then grew old, she would tell a story she herself had no memory of, but had been recited to her since early childhood by her mother, father, and aunts. Baby Adela, just six months old, had been on a steamboat excursion, the story went, when things had gone wrong. Very wrong indeed. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the wreck of the P.S. General Slocum.
0: Greg, you did such a nice job with that. Thank you. Yeah, well. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, Associate Maritime Safety Inspector for Relative Disasters Water Transit Company.
1: And I'm her brother, Greg, Head of Charter Sales, East River Division, Relative Disasters Water Transit Company.
0: Can I just say it's so nice to be working with you professionally after all these years?
1: Yes, yes. It's uh, Our offices are not near each other, but it's good to be in the same building.
0: Uh, this was a very, I don't want to say difficult story to research, um, okay. but it did use a lot more sources than usual. Uh, there are, this is a story with a lot of kind of connecting threads sure. and sources do not agree on everything. I'm going to oh. give you the best information I found. Okay. And we'll discuss later why sure. sources are so few and so varied. Uh, but our main sources for this episode are the contemporary account New York's Awful Steamboat Horror by H.D. Northrop. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into it with this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's do it.
0: And the excellent uh, PBS documentary Fearful Visitation, which is another great, terrible title. Okay. Uh thanks also to our listener Squivalized from Instagram. They suggested this story back in December. Again, sorry to take so long, but this was an absolute beast to research. Mm. Okay. Greg, let me take you back to 1891. All right. We're going to Brooklyn. Okay. We're going to a Brooklyn shipyard. Uh contractors for the incredibly period-specific sounding Knickerbocker steamship company. <laughs> Yeah, laugh at them because you're going to start hating uh, them in a few minutes. uh,
2: uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) So the Knickerbocker Steamship Company paid this shipyard to turn out a brand new side paddle wheel steamship named after the Civil War General Henry Warner Slocum, who's still alive at this time. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was weird. And then I remembered, oh, we're really far back. We're in 1891.
2: (laughs) Sure. Sure.
0: At the time of her launch, she was one of the largest and fanciest passenger steamers on the river. She was also massive, much larger than most of the other steamers. Okay. The General Slocum had three decks, each about 250 feet long by 70 feet wide. She weighed oh. 1,200 gross tons. You're thinking that's a little light for a ship that big.
1: Uh, a little bit.
0: Uh, that's because this is an entirely wooden ship. She's made completely out of white pine and yellow pine. And most of her superstructure is open. So just picture like a wedding cake with these open layers.
1: Yeah, I have several safety inspection questions.
0: Oh, we're going to get into it.
1: Okay, okay. This,
0: this whole episode is a safety inspection episode.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Which I love.
1: And which which river was it on? The Hudson?
0: So she did all these little kind of excursion paths around the Hudson, the East River, um, the Long Island Sound, and then okay. she would go up and around the Upper New York Bay. She's not okay. an ocean going; like you wouldn't bring her right. into right. <laughs> actual ocean water. That would she's a not riverboat
1: go well for many reasons,
0: right? Okay. But you know, for this kind of work, she's really big,
1: yeah, um, and she's really powerful. Okay. She's got
0: three steam engines attached to two huge paddle wheels. Okay. Uh, also made of wood. And <laughs> at full steam, she can run 18 miles per hour. Wow. That's
1: and, impressive engineering for the day. Okay. All basically,
0: right. she's a speedy little gorgeous, well, speedy big gorgeous. She's got sure. room for all your friends. <laughs> uh, legally, she's licensed to carry 2,500 passengers. Wow. And she runs on a crew of 20 to 40, depending on the occasion. She only ever has one captain captain for her william entire... henry van shake okay for her entire career yeah he's the wow. captain in 1891 and he's the captain in 1904 okay uh so as we said she's kind of a party boat sure she is the boat that you would hire to take your group like up and down the river or out to the harbor to watch fireworks you could watch a boat race if you're in the upper upper bay okay and you know she's She's really just built for these short trips and entertainments. They have a restaurant, they have two bars, they have a bandstand. Got it. Um, And there's just like an open, a lot of open spaces for dancing and I don't know, watching the city go by. Sure. Okay. So if you're an average group looking to charter a party boat for your river cruise or vacation trip or club outing. Mm -hmm. The General Slocum was a pretty popular choice. She's comfortable, she's not that expensive, and she also appears to be very safe. Okay. So when she was laid down, she was built with three waterproof compartments that were supposed to make her unsinkable.
1: Oh, God, I hate that word.
0: Shades of the Titanic. Mm. And uh, if by chance she did get into trouble and needed to evacuate passengers, there were rows of lifeboats all along the top deck. Okay. And they also had life preservers. Uh, I believe those were stored on the middle deck.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, they also have a fire suppression system, which was state-of-the-art for 1891 when she'd been built. And okay. the company, the Knickerbocker Steamship Company, would happily provide you with inspection records because the General Slocum always earned an A-plus in everything.
1: Can I ask a uh, a question here? Sure. Was the Knickerbocker shipbuilding company the ones in charge of inspecting her?
0: You know, I've seen <laughs> several... <laughs> that's my
1: first guess right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, it was a scam. It was a total scam. They would yeah! basically pay the inspector to uh, give them A pluses. The inspector would come aboard, he would like have yep. a drink with the captain, he'd A plus everything and then leave. The Knickerbocker Steamship Company would be happy to show you their A-plus report cards. The captain himself could tell you about his weekly fire drills.
2: Oh, okay. Yep.
0: So he was sending a report in to the Knickerbocker Steamship Company every week. Hey, we did a fire drill this week. It was great. Uh, Nobody got (laughs) hurt. All the equipment works perfectly, and... The crew is fantastic. Every week he was sending this in.
1: Now, is that like a state requirement or just something they were doing for the company to kind of cover themselves?
0: So it's really not clear who is like what the backbone is behind the inspection. Okay. Okay. So the state is requiring them to run inspections, but it's not clear who's actually administering. Got it. Got it. I think part of the problem, like this is not to excuse anyone responsible because they're all terrible, but part of the problem is that there's this perception that she doesn't really need any intense safety equipment because she's not going to be at sea for weeks and weeks. Like she's never out of sight of land and most of her trips are on the Hudson and the East River, which are narrow kind of urban waterways that are pretty heavily trafficked.
1: So the thinking is if she ever gets into trouble, people can just swim to shore anyway.
0: I think the first consideration is how much money they're making and how they don't want to spend it on anything not
1: cosmetic. Right. That makes sense. Sure.
0: Because she is very pretty. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. She's freshly painted at all times. She's very well polished. (laughs) But, you know, life belts are just not sexy the way a shiny brass rail is. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. You got to prioritize. Yep. There are two big safety problems aboard the General Slocum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only two. Okay.
0: Two big ones.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh,
0: The first and more obvious one is that the Knickerbocker Steamship Company loves to use that limit of 2,500 passengers as more of a suggestion than a hard stop.
1: Ah, I see.
0: They are continually being observed and cited for overloading by hundreds and sometimes thousands of passengers. Oh, my
2: God. Okay.
0: The consequence is like,
2: so
0: in 1895, they're fined $1,600 for overloading. They pay the fine. They continue to overload. The much worse and less obvious problem than the overloading is that the Knickerbocker Steamship Company is paying the safety inspector for those A pluses. And although her lifelong captain, William Henry Van Shake, declares in writing that he's personally supervising weekly fire drills, he isn't.
1: No, he I just mean, doesn't. Yeah, that that's fairly obvious.
0: <laughs> the fire equipment aboard the General Slocum has never been
1: used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fourteen that, years. That's yeah. That was going to be my guess. My guess was going to be: Did they ever actually run a fire drill, or no? no. Okay. Okay. I mean, right. there's
0: nothing. Nothing I found that said they ran one.
1: So we're off to a good start. <laughs>
0: So from a distance, the General Slocum looks great, but if you observe the overcrowding and you happen to know the truth between the captain's fire drill attestations and yep. all those A-plus inspection reports, she's less of a party boat and more of a floating palace of death. I don't know. Yep. Is that too strong?
1: No, I think that's a good that's a good modicum. Yeah.
0: What drives me crazy, the General Slocum is one of two flagships of the Knickerbocker Steamship Company. Okay. She is painted and polished like to within an inch of her life they're making buckets of cash from overloading her right and they can't be bothered to make sure that the captain really is running fire drills Mm -hmm. or to take a close look at the fire hoses which are made of unlined linen they've been sitting around for so long (laughs) they have actual holes in them wow nobody's nobody's like inspecting life belts seriously uh nobody's making sure the lifeboats are functional
1: well nobody's inspecting the ship at all
0: it's just such a basic thing. Right. You know, uh, it's a basic
1: uh, thing that costs money, Ella. What part of this isn't making sense? You can't you can't make money hand over fist if you actually care about the people you're making money from.
0: So, I looked it up, and a brand <gasps> new life preserver? Yeah. Costs $1 at this time. Oof. $1. <sighs> Less than a dollar.
1: Sure. But you know what I mean? I do. <laughs> I do. Like,
0: nobody's even trying to make it look good. Nobody's, like, swapping out things once in a while just it's to just like, make sure, like, the top layer yep, is nice.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> Maybe replace some of the linen There's on just, one of the fire hoses.
0: Just one. Just just the visible one, you know? There's nothing like that.
1: Oh, I hate every bit of this. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> the other thing I have to tell you is that uh, the General Slocum is not a non-smoking ship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well to be fair is there such a thing as a non-smoking anything at this point
0: point? and although they do have electricity aboard the ship they do yep. most of their lighting with oil lanterns
1: well it's got that so, certain quality to it you know? yeah it's homey it's festive. you want it, you want it to look nice
0: for the <sighs> first 14 years of her life the ps general slocum really does lead a charmed life she has a few groundings she has a minor riot But given the flagrant safety violations, she does very well for herself. Yeah, Millions of New Yorkers spend the day aboard and they come home suntanned and blissfully unaware that they'd been risking their lives.
2: Okay.
0: I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending for you a little bit and tell you right now. The disaster we're going to discuss involves the sinking of the General Slocum and the deaths of just over a thousand people, mostly women and young children. For comparison, the Titanic disaster in 1912 killed over 1,500 people, and the wreck of the Lusitania three years later resulted in 1,200 fatalities. You would think that these three wrecks, which are all tragic, avoidable, highly dramatic disasters, should be equally well known, at least in America, because all three ships had a large percentage of Americans aboard. But the P.S. General Slocum is not considered along with those other two shipwrecks. Sure. So when you spend as much time Googling disasters as I do.
1: (laughs) We are on so many watch lists.
0: Yeah, but we need to stay on them. We got to keep up our game.
1: That's true. Uh,
0: You get kind of curious when you compare search results for the RMS Titanic, which brings back 11 million hits. Okay. Right. The RMS Lusitania which yields 1.2 million hits. Okay. And the PS General Slocum, which brings back 4,590 results. Huh. So one of the big things I was trying to chase down is why it isn't more widely known. Sure. And the big reason for this is that it's a very discreet set of victims. And while the loss of them had an enormous and terrible impact on their community, very few had ties, you know, social, religious, economic... Uh, work-related, familial, outside of their neighborhood, which is Little Germany. Little Germany was a neighborhood composed of German immigrants. Did I shock you?
1: (laughs) No, that one makes sense.
0: And uh, their American-born children who were being raised as if they were still in Germany. Okay. So as an immigrant neighborhood in the last half of the 1800s, it was less of a melting pot than other places in New York. Families tended to cluster together within these, I think at its height, it was about 400 city blocks. So a not insignificant portion of Manhattan. Okay. Within Little Germany, you would speak German, educate your kids at a German school, eat German food, read German papers. Uh, You'd worship in a German-speaking church or synagogue and do all the cultural things you'd be doing at a working class neighborhood in Berlin. Beer halls. Beer halls are big. Sure, sure. The kind of high point in population was the 1860s. By the end of the 1800s, demographics were beginning to change due to second generation immigrants moving up to the Upper East Side and Brooklyn. And at the same time, there was an influx of Russian and Eastern European immigrants moving into the East Side.
1: Yeah. The next, the next wave of people was arriving to the American shores.
0: Right. It's a very fluid area. But um, the German community really had a, long, a long-standing history with this section of the East Village. Uh, so in 1904, there are still 50,000 people living in this kind of reduced section of okay. Kleindeutschland. Klein At this time, the German immigrants in little Germany are saving and they're working their butts off. They're known for being tradespeople and factory workers. They are extremely industrious. Yeah. So the average family would have a father working very long hours running a business or doing some kind of specialized labor. Yep. um, A mother responsible for the household as well as one or two jobs in a factory or a shop and a bunch of kids. Uh, Sure. These were pretty big families statistically. Yep. The job of the kids was to go to school, take care of each other, and start working as soon as they were able to. Sure. My sympathy is completely with the moms. I cannot imagine how exhausted these moms would have been between the babies, the cooking, and the pre-OSHA, pre-union, pre-labor law, factory work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is the kind of schedule that never ended. Like, there were no union-mandated weekends. There were no paid holidays. So I imagine they really looked forward to church.
1: Yes. Church would be a big part of this.
0: Right? Uh, the center of the community is St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church, which, which serves the Lutheran majority within Little Germany as well as the smaller German neighborhood in Yorkville. Uh, St. Mark's is a huge brick church in the Neo-Renaissance style. Cool. By 1904, it has this beloved longtime pastor, Reverend J. A. W. Haas, and a thriving ladies' aid society. Oh, cool! Which is known as the Frauenhilfsverein. Yes. Don't you love German words? They're such uh, uh, <laughs> such suitcases of words. Uh, they are. <laughs> uh, Reverend Haas's big emphasis is on social programs, especially for children. And by 1904, he's supervising a Sunday school that serves literally hundreds of kids. Good. Uh, it's a, you know, a big, important part of the community.
2: Sure, yeah.
0: And for the past 17 years, he and the Frau and have been working together to treat the moms and kids to a Sunday school picnic every June. And this is something that those overworked moms really look forward to. For some of them, yeah. it's the only real day off they're going to get all year. Sure. So in the spring of 1904, the Ladies' Aid Society plans this really nice outing, and they distribute over 1,000 tickets to Sunday school students, their parents, and the community at large. Okay. So if you went to a German grocery store, even if you weren't German, and you lived on the edge of Little Germany, and that was just your local grocery store, yeah. you might get a couple tickets if you were a great customer. Nice. And that is why... If you look at the passenger list and the Mm -hmm. list of the victims, you will see names that are distinctly non-German. Okay. That's where those people are coming from.
1: Now, did they rent out the whole boat or did they just... Oh, yeah. Okay. That's how it
0: works. You get the whole boat when you...
1: Well, I was wondering if it was, you know, they got one deck and somebody else got another deck or something like that. But if they got the whole boat, okay. Not on this trip. Uh, Okay.
0: They book a round-trip excursion on the PS General Slocum for $350 for June 15th, which is a Wednesday. Wow. The event is planned to a T. So the plan is they're going to leave from the Recreation Pier at 3rd Street, which is right in... Little Germany, I think. I'm very shaky on New York geography. Okay. I looked at a lot of maps. This is the best I could do. (laughs) They're going to leave from the recreation pier at 3rd Street. They're going to sail up the East River and through the Sound to Long Island. At a little beachfront town called Eaton's Neck, they're going to disembark and walk to a picnic area. They're going to eat the picnics they would brought, have the kids run around. Uh, they brought games and amusements. Hopefully the moms are going to get some sunshine and some vitamin D, yep. catch up on the gossip. <laughs> and they're just going to enjoy loafing around for a minute while their husbands are at work. Because sure. remember, it's a Wednesday. Yep. It's a work day. And the plan is that they're all going to hop on the ship in the late afternoon and be back by supper time. Okay. To be honest with you, I would have signed up for this trip in a heartbeat, especially when my kids were little, like school was out for the summer, and I was at my wits end with them. This sounds nice. Yeah. The morning of June 15th, the weather was exceptionally nice. Blue skies, warm, just the perfect day for this excursion. About 1,400 to 1,500 members of St. Mark's Sunday School and their moms, plus a handful of dads, older relatives, and, you know, non-affiliated community members
2: sure
0: the reason why i can't give you an exact number is that the knickerbocker steamship company who remember are are already really loosey-goosey about yep. having the right number of people on board yep. they don't count children as people oh so <laughs> okay so a mother and infant can get onto it's- the ship on one ticket
1: Just one ticket. Got it. Three toddlers
0: are counted as one person, which I guess makes sense because if you put three toddlers (laughs) on top of each other, they're kind of the same size as a...
1: Three kids in a trench coat kind of thing. Exactly.
0: That's what I was thinking. Two kindergartners are counted as one person. So you can see why the numbers are a little fraught.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: What I can tell you for sure is that there were right about 150 adult men on board and 40 crew members running the ship.
2: And for once...
0: The company was under their legal limit of 2,500 passengers. Hey! Yay! Good job. <laughs> I would say.
1: <laughs> Adequate job?
0: <laughs> it hurts me to even think they're doing one thing right, but.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's not good.
0: So the whole group gets loaded aboard, and at 9 40, the PS General Slocum got underway. Again, okay. absolutely perfect weather. The Ladies' Aid Society has hired a band. They're playing a program Ooh. of traditional German songs. Cool. So as we pull away from the recreation pier, we've got three open decks of women and children, blue skies, warm weather, music, and we're right on schedule.
1: Perfect day for a picnic.
0: And then something really unfortunate happens. Yeah. So I've already told you the General Slocum uses a mix of electric and oil-burning lights.
2: Oh, for God's sakes. Okay.
0: Two things that have never interacted in a dangerous way. Nope. Uh, From what we've already heard about the Knickerbocker Steamship Company, you will not be surprised to know they had absolutely no problem with storing gasoline, barrels of lamp oil, and crates of drinking glasses, which are stored in straw, in the same little cabin down in the hold. Oh, my God. And sometime around 9.30 that morning, as the passengers were coming aboard, somebody dropped either a match or a cigarette on the floor of the lamp room and failed to extinguish it completely. So the best theory that investigators could come up with later on was that a stray spark smoldered a while in the straw and then kind of, because this room is completely closed in, so there's not a lot of oxygen. Yeah. But then when someone overhead happened to open the door to see where the smoke was coming from, that unintentionally fed the fire enough oxygen to really get going.
1: To hit the gasoline and the lamp oil and everything else.
0: Yeah, and please remember, the ship is made out of white pine, yellow pine, and layers and layers of extremely flammable paint. Yeah. Like, it's a tinderbox. It really is.
1: Yeah. As we know from our Peshtigo fire, white pine burns really, really, really well. Yep. So this Uh,
0: completely untrained crew starts scrambling for the fire equipment.
1: Which they've never
0: used. Which they've never used, which some of them don't even know where it is or how to hook it up.
1: Yep. Uh,
0: By the time the ship was 20 minutes down the East River, people on the main deck were beginning to notice smoke. And the captain was notified about the fire about 10 minutes later at the worst (laughs) point possible. So this is just as the ship was entering an area of the river known as Hellgate. Have you heard of Hellgate?
1: I've heard of Hellgate Prison. Mm -hmm.
0: The natural feature is a famous navigational hazard in the middle of the river. It's full of whirlpools and like these vicious currents. Those occur because it's the point where the tide from Long Island Sound meets the tide from the upper New York Bay. And they're both passing over these massive underwater reefs.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So even on a nice day, which it was, Hellgate is difficult to navigate and almost impossible to evacuate into. So even experienced swimmers... Today, can get caught in the currents, dragged underwater, and drowned faster than you might think. Yeah. So, when he hears about the fire, as they're getting into this incredibly complicated navigational hazard, the captain instructs the crew to put it out.
1: (laughs) Golly, sir, wouldn't have thought of that without your sterling leadership.
0: They inform him that they've already tried and they found that the firefighting equipment is falling apart. Literally, that unlined linen hose split apart when they tried to run water through it.
1: No way to predict that.
0: No, and you would think no. after all those imaginary fire drills, someone would yeah, have Yeah, they noticed. know what they are doing.
1: You guys have run thousands of fire drills by this point. You really should know what you're doing.
0: The fire is past the point of being able to be smothered or isolated. And as I said before, the ship is an absolute tinderbox. I think even the captain knew right away she was probably not going to survive this. So he orders the ship to the closest dock in the Bronx and then immediately changes his mind. Okay. The most controversial choice the captain makes that day is to change his mind about the obvious solution and steer away from the piers they were passing, the ones that were literally meters away from the side of the ship in this narrow part of the East River. Yeah. Later on, he says he does this because these are commercial piers. And there are ships and warehouses and oil tanks right on the water that might become part of the fire if he chooses to try and dock.
2: Uh, Yeah.
0: What he decides to do is make for North Brother Island, which is about 10 minutes away across the Sound, which has a huge undeveloped shoreline. It has these shallow, sandy waters and riverside hospitals right on the water. Okay. So his plan is to ground the ship on the beach where the fire won't jump to anything on shore. And evacuate everyone into the shallow water. And if anyone is injured, the hospital is right there. Okay. What do you think of this plan?
1: I think if he'd thought of it before the boat made of white pine was already a raging conflagration, uh, that might have been better.
0: Yeah, the jury later is really undecided over this.
1: (laughs) I don't think he... Well, the problem is, like, even if, if I'm going to give him... The benefit of the doubt, which, I, which he does not deserve because of the fake fire drills. You don't need and to. Say yeah. that, and say that, you know, he, he could have made the right call by not putting ashore where there were oil tanks that would have burned half of New York. Mm-hmm. However, your ship's already on fire.
0: And it's a serious fire.
1: Yeah. This isn't, a, this isn't something where you can – you don't have the 10 minutes to make it to that island.
0: Exactly. That's what it comes down to yeah yep uh so he decides against the bronx and orders full steam ahead across hellgate to north brother island which does not help the fire situation obviously and to make it worse the wind changes so now he's running into the wind which just feeds the fire at an incredible rate oh my god so within seconds of turning away from the Bronx, this fire is roaring down the length of the ship on all decks, and the passengers who aren't immediately trapped at the prow of the ship are crowded at the back railings. A few people are already jumping overboard, but even even on the other side of Hellgate, this is deep water with some pretty yep. heavy currents, and very yep. few of the passengers knew how to swim. It just wasn't a thing back then. No, no. Like, you wouldn't have learned how to swim at summer camp. You wouldn't have learned right. how to swim at, at your YMCA. There was just no opportunity for S-
1: swimming. Was, we talked about swimming. this in, in in the Bondi Beach episode. Mm-hmm. Swimming wasn't what was done for recreation.
0: I also want to point out, it's quite a distance from the deck to the water. So imagine being on a 40-foot-high yeah. diving board, looking down into opaque, filthy river water, running You're, really fast with the tide. You don't know right. how to swim. You're in your nicest 1904 outfit, so layers yeah. and layers of clothes and heavy shoes.
1: You're going to hit the water really hard first of all
0: some people chose to jump and some people didn't i would probably have gone for a lifeboat but here's where the worst practices of the knickerbocker steamship company really start to shine nobody is able to get a lifeboat loose several of the survivors say they are wired to the deck what as in permanently affixed to the deck what Uh, Other survivors say that the lifeboats they tried to loosen had been painted in place and just didn't budge at all. People were trying to cut them loose with knives, and they weren't able to. As the fire gets worse and the lifeboats are a lost cause, there's a mad rush for life preservers, which you remember had been sitting around for 14 years. The canvas covers are so rotten you can put your fingers through them, and the cork (sighs) inside is just dust. Uh, Let me do a quick sidebar for cork. Solid cork (laughs) pieces float, right? Like the cork you get in your wine bottle floats. The air trapped inside is what makes it buoyant. Round cork doesn't float at all. No, no. So more than one of the survivors report putting young children into these life belts, tossing them (sighs) over the side and watching them sink without coming back up. Oh, God. And this is after you've fought your way to grab one of these life belts through this... Uh panicking crowd God. 10 minutes after the captain was informed of the fire out of reach of hellgate he's able to beach the ship on the shore of north brother island he makes excellent time and he also kept people on the ship for way too long okay. the ship is now completely engulfed in fire but it's finally close enough to land to try and evacuate if you jump off the starboard side way towards the prow of the ship This is the escape route the captain and the crew take the minute they can.
1: Oh, God. So nobody's directing people.
0: Nobody's directing people. It's mass panic. Oh, God. If you jump off at that point, you're in about six feet of water. And even if you can't swim, you can manage to get yourself ashore if you're lucky. However, the front of the ship is also where the hottest part of the fire is. The only reason why the captain and crew aren't caught in it is because they're evacuating from the pilot house, which is just in front of the fire. Okay. So the captain and 35 members of the 40-person crew evacuates just as the hurricane deck, which is the top deck, collapses and sends hundreds of people falling into the water off the back of the ship. Captain Van Shake intended to pull up the General Slocum like he's parallel parking on the sandbar. Sure. He sure. doesn't do that. He dives into it. So the yeah. General Slocum is at an almost perpendicular angle. If you were involved in this collapse off the aft end, which is where the ship was most crowded, you were in much deeper water and way into those powerful currents. Most of the people who fall into the water with this collapse, and there are hundreds, do not survive. Sure. Okay, so this is mid-morning on a weekday, and the East River is pretty busy with water traffic. So as you can imagine, the sight of a speeding, flaming steamboat roaring across (laughs) the water gets a lot of attention. Yeah, On shore at the hospital, this is a convalescent hospital for patients with infectious diseases, not any kind of emergency burn slash drowning unit. Uh, Nurses and doctors and even some patients drop what they're doing and start scrambling to get people out of the water and treat the injured. Okay. On the other side, there are boats going full speed towards the wreck, and when they get there, they're pulling people out of the water using real-life preservers, the floaty kind, (laughs) the $1 kind and bringing them to shore. And the assortment of watercraft doing these rescues was pretty wild. You had guys in lifeboats, at least three tugboats, uh, barges, rowboats, basically whoever was on the water and saw the wreck came running. One of the boats that managed to save a lot of people was a launch owned by the Department of Corrections that happened to be heading out to Rikers Island when they saw the wreck. Okay. So a jailboat. Yeah. Uh, Some of the rescue stories are really wild. (laughs) There is a 12-year-old girl listed as Miss Grayling, who was along on the trip as a babysitter. She had been holding this year-old baby who was fussy the whole time. Okay. When the fire breaks out, she puts her hand over the baby's face and jumps overboard off the deep end without really thinking about it. Miss Grayling knows how to swim. Oh, And she doesn't think the East River is a big deal. Oh, to be 12 again. (laughs) Mm. Somehow, she keeps her grip on the baby and the baby's nose. And when she surfaces, she grabs onto a board and is able to hold herself and the baby above water until a man grabs her by the hair and pulls them into a rowboat. She and the baby both survive fantastic uh, grade A babysitting, Miss Grayling. Yeah,
1: that's who you hire, man. That is incredibly brave and selfless of a 12-year-old. Like
0: Another man figures out that the shore-facing paddle wheel is slow to catch fire. And what he does is he climbs up and he encourages everyone he's with to climb up with him. Those people are able to jump off the top of the paddle wheel into the shallow water.
1: Okay. Um, Okay. And most of them survive. Good work.
0: The excursion has two policemen along for crowd control. And when that (laughs) Department of Corrections boat, the Massasoit, is able to come right up to the side of the General Slocum. They have a few minutes to throw as many people as they can onto the Massasoit's forward deck before it starts smoldering and has to pull away. Okay. At that point, one of the policemen, who is described in the court documents as a portly gentleman, grabs an armload of kids, jumps overboard, and has them hold onto his belt and sleeves. He can't swim. He just floats there with all these kids attached until they can get picked up by the Massasoit.
1: Uh, No, man. Good for him.
0: Uh, it's just a, a beautiful image of a uh, giant, uh, fat policeman floating around with tiny children attached.
1: In, in case of a water emergency, your local police officer may be used as a <laughs> flotation device. That is fine. Are you kidding me? Good no, for No, it's him. just,
0: um, I knew that people wouldn't know how to swim and would be panicked about getting in the water. It never occurred to me that someone would think to just float. Which is what you're supposed to do in you know, a in a water rescue. It's it's very impressive.
1: That's really great. Good for him.
0: Another boat, a tugboat called the Wade, is actually able to get close enough to the stern end to take people off the deck. Okay. Uh, the Wade actually catches on fire itself and has to be put out by a fireboat nearby. The tug captain and his crew get serious burns from the fire, but they're able to save forty people on this tiny little Sheesh. tugboat. Yeah. And then one more Weird, (laughs) amazing rescue story for you.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: There's a patient at the tuberculosis hospital. She's 17 years old. She's straight out of Ireland. She's been in America for about two weeks. She's recovering from scarlet fever. Literally, she landed at Ellis Island. She was diagnosed with scarlet fever and sent to the Riverside Hospital. Okay. She happens to be an excellent swimmer. She has some of the others form a human chain into the water, and she swims out from the end and rescues as many children as she can, almost drowning in the process. She was in bed with scarlet fever, Greg. (laughs) That's... That's very impressive. Unfortunately, the rescue stories are the exceptions. The vast majority of the people aboard the P.S. General Slocum disappear into the water or succumb to burn injuries within a few minutes of the grounding. Okay. Okay. Within two hours of the fire beginning, the General Slocum has burned to the point where it can no longer hold onto the spot where it was grounded, and she floats away and sinks. Okay. The rescue effort by this time has turned into body retrieval. Survivors yeah. are being treated by the emergency workers who had rushed over to North Brother Island. And at this point, the coroner and his staff are already beginning to try and identify the hundreds of bodies laid out on the shore. God. This was actually not as hard as you might think. Sure. So I've told you how incredibly hard these women worked. Yeah. But it seems like they're not working like that because they're living in extreme poverty. I mean, they're frugal, but they're scrimping to get their families into a nicer place.
2: Right, right. So
0: a lot of them have savings, stock certificates, and have been putting money into things like jewelry because they're saving up and maybe they don't trust the bank 100%. Yeah, yep. So in a not insignificant amount of these body identifications – They have to do with stock certificates, bank books, or insurance papers that were found sewed into inner pockets um, or expensive jewelry that had been engraved. One woman is identified by the six gold and diamond rings she wore on her hands. Wow. And of course, many, many of the bodies are identified by survivors or of family members who had stayed home for whatever reason. Yeah. As you can imagine, the community of Little Germany was deeply shocked and traumatized, and the ordeal of identification is almost too much for the surviving family members. Uh, One woman goes to the temporary morgue, which is on a city pier. She identifies the body of her children and her mother, who had taken the kids out for the picnic. She signs the paperwork, and then she walks off the end of the pier in an attempted suicide. This story is not an isolated incident. Yeah. Many, many people, especially the fathers who had skipped the excursion to work, yep. lost their entire families in the disaster and struggled to recover. At least 15 children lost both parents in the disaster and had to be cared for by relatives or charity. It's almost impossible for us to imagine the impact this had on the community. Yeah, Between 2 and 2.5% of the people living in Little Germany died in the General Slocum disaster. So every single family is affected, Yeah, and within a few years, little Germany was almost completely gone as people leave for Yorkville, Brooklyn, and upstate. Okay, so that's the disaster, Mm -hmm. and what do we do, Greg, when corporate negligence leads to 1,000 deaths, all of which can be directly traced to operating decisions?
1: Uh, Well, there's usually a suit of some
0: kind. I think in a perfect world, we try and hold them responsible, right? Right. So the captain, the heads of the Knickerbocker steamship company, and two of the inspectors responsible for safety checks are all indicted (laughs) for manslaughter. (laughs) Kel surprise, Kel surprise. Uh, Uh, Only the captain, William Van Shake, is found to be actually negligent. That's for those faked fire drills. Yep. Remember, kids, it's not a good idea to lie about safety stuff.
1: Not only that, but it's not a good idea to lie about it in writing.
0: Right. Exactly. Never leave a paper trail.
1: Exactly. If he just, like, (laughs) stuck his head in the office once a week and was like, hey, we did a fire drill. It was great.
0: (laughs) That would have been fine. You're right. William Van Shake gets a 10-year sentence. Huh. Which seems light to me.
1: Well, I mean, I'm... I'm cynical enough to say that i'm I'm surprised he got any sentence. I'm surprised he didn't just get like a hundred and twenty dollar fine
0: Mm-mm. well, but. he's paroled after three years. He does three years in Sing Sing okay. um His wife is very upset that he was uh convicted of criminal negligence. Uh-huh. She asks Roosevelt for a pardon and then she asks Taft for a pardon. He is formally pardoned by President Taft in 1911. Huh. William Van Shake dies in 1927 at the ripe old age of 98. Okay. The Knickerbocker Steamship Company is fined $5,000 for falsifying inspection records, which makes me want to scream. Yep. Are you curious about which records they falsified?
1: (sighs) Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. (laughs) Uh, They falsified documents of about the composition of the ship
0: no they lied about the age of the life belts they were pretending that some life belts they had recently bought Uh, (laughs) were for the general slocum they weren't and uh, they also lied about supervising the captain's weekly fire drills which were as you remember imaginary yep okay so if you know about this story at all you probably know it as a cautionary tale that influenced urban maritime safety and ushered out An era of incredibly flammable boats. (laughs) And indeed, there was a mad rush to inspect the passenger steamer's license to operate around New York. Spoiler, there were a lot of really egregious violations.
1: I'm shocked. Shocked I am.
0: (laughs) However, real change was incredibly gradual. In case you're picturing this immediate sweeping change in safety laws for excursion boats... Let's do a little sidebar for the sister ship of the P.S. General Slocum, the P.S. Grand Republic. Okay. She was less of a sister ship and more of an identical twin. So exact same plans. I think she was a little older. I think she was a couple years older.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, A week after the General Slocum disaster, city authorities inspected the Grand Republic and found – you're going to be shocked – Rotten life Uh, preservers, some of them uh 30 years old. So some of them had been bought secondhand when the ship was new. (laughs) They had the same broken firefighting equipment and they had lifeboats that had been painted in place at least one with missing oars. Oh. Which doesn't seem right.
1: Well, (laughs) you can paddle with your hands if you're desperate enough.
0: Come on. How far are you going?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: Apparently they had never had a fire drill and their fire hose split open under half a pound of water pressure. One of the inspectors testified <laughs> that he had never seen a ship so poorly equipped to fight even a minor fire.
1: At which point, somebody turned to him and said, well, let me tell you about the General Slocum.
0: Well, the point is, they were equipped exactly the same. And they looked exactly the same. Some people said that when they saw the Grand Republic sailing after the General Slocum, they thought oh, God. that
1: it, was, yeah, a ghost it ship. was like a ghost ship. <laughs> no!
0: Uh, Formal complaints were lodged by the city and some of the General Slocum survivors. Hello. Sure. The Knickerbocker Steamship Company says they simply can't afford major upgrades. They've had that super expensive lawsuit. They do swap out a percentage of the really elderly life preservers, so the ones that were marked 1877 in
2: 1904.
0: Hmm. Uh, They do swap out a percentage of those for new ones. Not all of them. (laughs) Just a percentage. Well, you see, they're too big to fail. Thoughts and prayers. They go bankrupt yeah. in 1905. So maybe they were telling the truth and the crappy sinking life preservers were the only thing keeping them afloat.
2: ooh, ooh good line.
0: Is that too dark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to 1904 and why my Google results are so weird.
1: Yes, this is this is interesting.
0: So for about a year, the wreck of the General Slocum was big news. Sure. A lot of mentions in the papers. But after 1906, mentions of the disaster become less frequent. Okay. Because nothing's changing, right? The lawsuit yeah, is there's over. there's no more to the story. Exactly. They are completely eclipsed by the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, which happens uh, in 1911. Yeah. And unlike this story, that's, that disaster leads to a lot of change, kind of unfolding changes in labor law and factory conditions, which is one reason why it's still so well known.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, The General Slocum really changed the world of wooden side paddle excursion steamers, but that's not a world we still live in. And we do still live in a world of factories and labor laws.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's one reason why we know about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire and not necessarily about the General Slocum. In 1912, the Titanic sinks, which is, of course, an enormous story. Yep. And a few years later, when America gets involved in World War I, anti-German sentiment becomes another layer on top of the General Slocum victims. Sure. By the 1950s, the story is a tragic footnote, and by the end of the century, it had largely disappeared from the public consciousness, even in New York City, with the exception of the yearly memorial ceremony in the Lutheran Cemetery and the memories of the descendants of Little Germany. Hmm. However... The wreck of the General Slocum remains New York City's largest loss of life in a maritime disaster and the second largest loss of life in a single event after 9-11. And that's wow. the story of the P.S. General Slocum disaster.
1: How many, people, how many people did die?
0: Okay, so because they were so sketchy about the tickets. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I know.
0: One documentary I read said that it could have been as many as... 1,200 people. Okay. Um, Most reports put the number at just over a 1,000. Okay. However, uh, not all of the remains were recovered, and there are 60 victims who were never identified. That's who's buried under that monument in the cemetery, the 61 people who were not identified.
2: Got
0: it. So it's really unclear, and when you think about it, you have this kind of... Isolated almost community. Yeah, you had yeah. whole families disappearing from that. Yeah, God. and it's just really, really tragic and really sad that we can't yeah. even put names to some of the people who d- who died. Adela Liebenau yep. lived to be a hundred years old, and another survivor, Catherine Connolly, lived to be a hundred and eight. Wow. And they passed away in I think two thousand and eight, two thousand and six, somewhere around there.
2: Jeez. Okay.
0: But they told this story over and over again. like this is this is a yeah. big, big story within that community. yeah, it is an important story. I think it's important to tell, um, even if just to show how shady <laughs> yeah, companies well. were with their safety back then. Well, not
1: only that, but that the the very safety items that were there were, in fact, just there for show and not able to actually keep anybody safe whatsoever. It's just cruel. You know, it it, it is, it really is. It's almost better to
0: say, listen, our ship is a death trap. Nothing works. There's no firefighting equipment. Uh, People are smoking. There are no lifeboats and no life preservers. You know, we have cheap tickets, but that's the truth. Travel
1: at own risk. Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's awful.
0: We got through it though. We got through it together.
1: It's just one of those things where it's like there's no – what a senseless loss of human life just because people needed to make a little little bit of money.
0: That's certainly one takeaway from this story. But another takeaway, I think, is that so many people saw this happen and risked their own lives to help. And, you know, dozens of people were saved.
1: That's – that's –
0: Humanity. Yeah. We're a real mixed bunch, aren't we? Yeah.
1: Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know.
0: You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly...
1: And we know you do.
0: (laughs) Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story. Maybe enjoyed is not the right word. We hope you found the story interesting and enjoyed the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster... What's it gonna be, Greg? Please, no more shipwrecks.
1: No, this is not gonna be a shipwreck. Uh, Yay! Well, you you did an incredibly dumb riot a couple of episodes back, and I'm gonna. I see, sure did. I'm gonna <laughs> see your incredibly dumb riot about <laughs> disco, and I'm gonna raise you an incredibly dumb riot about Shakespeare.
0: Oh dear. I didn't know it's, you could riot about Shakespeare.
1: Well, it's not really about Shakespeare so much as it is a whole bunch of things, including national pride mm. and uh, the personal pride of two very different and both sounding very obnoxious actors.
0: Oh, boy, an actor story.
1: Ah, theater. So for the next episode of Relative Disasters, we are going to talk about the Astor Place riot.
0: Uh, that does sound really interesting and, uh, I can't wait to talk to you about that.